Here, as it explained, vijnana vijnana sahidam svanuha sanyuktam. When it becomes svanuha, it becomes one's own experience. So, knowledge, when it becomes one's own experience, meaning that it becomes very real for one's own self, that jnanam and vijnanam, I will tell you, asheshataha, without leaving anything, without omitting anything. And what is the benefit of this knowledge? Knowing which, here, nothing remains to be known. <coughs> Knowing which, everything is as well known. <coughs> now, this is in, this statement is in keeping with the trend of the Upanishads. We find this theme in the Upanishads. Like in the Upanishad called Mundaka Upanishad, the disciple approaches the teacher and ask this question. Kasmin bhago vijnate saranam vijnatam bhodidi. Oh revered sir, what is it? Knowing with all of this becomes known. So this seems to be the desire in the this question the Upanishad represents really the very desire of the human mind. It is not just a question that occurred to somebody, but then it is a question in a way that occurs in every mind. That there is a desire to know everything. There is a desire to become omniscient, to know everything. Well, I suffer from a sense of lack of knowledge. The lack or want that I'm suffering from, one of them is the lack of knowledge. I find myself lacking knowledge-wise, lacking power-wise. Therefore, I want to be omnipotent, I want to be almighty. I want to... I want to I do not want to be controlled by anybody. I just want to be totally free. I want to control everything. I want all the power, all the knowledge. This is what I think I want. It is not what I really want, but I think that if I know everything, then I will be alright. If I am almighty, then I will be alright. So I am trying to become almighty, trying to become all-knowing. But as we say yesterday, all-knowing does not mean that the person knows how many grains of sand there are, and how many stars are there, and you know, how many drops of water there are in the ocean. There is no way that a human mind can ever know that. Even the mind of the wise person also would not be able to know that. Or mind of otherwise also a person who is very highly accomplished in some ways, has lots of powers, even that also. There is no way that one can know this. And still there is a desire to know everything. And so this says, by knowing this, you as well know everything. Again, this a famous story from Chandogya Upanishad, known to most of you, story of this boy whose name was Svetakedu. And at the age of twelve, his father told him that now is the time for you to go to the teacher and study. Goes to the teacher, lives with the teacher for twelve years, and returns home, very learned, a great scholar, very proud of his knowledge, thinking that perhaps father doesn't know much, he's an old man. And so, when he went, he was a, he was a, he was a good son, good means obedient son. He, he's good still, but obedient, humble. When he comes back now, he has become very stiff, very arrogant, not bending down to anybody, not bowing down to anybody, not showing respect to others, thinking that who is there, who knows as much as I do. And I can give a great amount, I, mean, I can I can be a great teacher, a speaker, you know. This kind of pride here, the father saw that this boy has his pride and therefore once he called him, 
He said, look, you seem to have this pride and you have this arrogance. That means you must have a very special knowledge. Otherwise, you can't have this. Uttadam adesham apraksha. Hey, did you ask of that teaching from a teacher? Yena shutam shutam bhavati amadam matam avignadam vignadam iti. Did you ask for that upadesha? Ask for that teaching. Ask for knowledge of that. Hearing which everything is as well heard. Thinking about which everything is as well thought of. Knowing which everything is as well known. I'm sure you must know that. That the fact that you are behaving in such an arrogant manner shows that you must have that knowledge. The Shvetikati was surprised. What? How can it be? How can it be that by knowing one thing that you know everything, how can it be? I don't think there is such a thing. How can it be, number one? Had such a thing been there, I'm sure my teacher would have taught me. Or, if my teacher knew, he would have taught me. I was one of his best students, and then why should he not teach me such a thing? I don't think my teacher knew. The boy became very nervous. He could see that he doesn't know something. His father asked him, he did not know, and therefore he was scared. He thought that he'll be sent back to the Gurukulam. Therefore he, he protected himself, saying that, I don't think that my teacher knew, otherwise he would have told me. Which is not what one should do, should never do that. Showing this kind of disrespect for the teacher should never be. But he did it. So from the Vedic times, these things are going on, you know. These problems are going on from that time. Then the father told him, So how can it be that on knowing one thing that you know everything? Then these very famous examples are given. Isa Somya, Ekena Mutpindena, Sarvam Runme Vijnatam Syat. Hey Somya, oh good looking one, just as by knowing one particle of Earth, everything that is made of earth is as well known. By knowing one nugget of gold, everything made of gold is as well known. Meaning that by knowing the Upanakaranam, by knowing the material cause, whatever is made from the material is known. Because what is called part is really, as we will see, the truth, tattva, the essence of this part. The truth of this part is nothing but clay. Although it is called a part, all right, because for Vyavahara, for our daily transactions, we need to call it part, because it serves a certain purpose. It is intelligently put together, serving a certain purpose. This part, and therefore, yes, it has a purpose. You can fill water, you can carry water in it, you can fill water in it, you can do various things. And still, as far as the truth of this object is concerned, it is nothing but clay. And therefore, knowing the clay, you as well know not only one part, but all the parts that are made. And so, similarly also, if there is an upadhanakara, if there is a material cause of this universe. So that is how the question was asked in Mundaka Upanishad. So when the, when a student comes and asks this question, what is it knowing which everything becomes known? He must have some idea that such thing can be there. He must have heard, perhaps in course of debates among the learned people, that if you know the gold, then you as well know all the ornaments made of gold. Meaning, knowing the upadhanakaranam, material cause, you as well know all the effect. Because the effect is never apart from the material cause. The part is never apart from clay. So then the question is, is there such a thing with reference to the world? 
we see the world also consists of the various names and forms. Is there one cause from which all these forms have come? Is there an upadana karma? Is there a material cause? If so, what is it? So, thus really the question of a desire to know everything is really a desire to know the cause. As every scientist wants to know what's the cause. And so the desire to know everything is desire to know the fundamental building block, the fundamental material cause, knowing which everything as well becomes known. So Lord Krishna says, Jnanam, I will give you knowledge of that. So by knowing which, nothing remains to be known. That means here, Arjuna, I will give you knowledge of that tattva, knowledge of that truth, knowledge of that principle, that entity, knowing which everything as well becomes known because it is the fundamental cause, the material cause of the universe. <coughs> Thus, the knowledge has been praised. Another way of looking at this statement, knowing which nothing remains to be known, is if you look at the reason why we pursue different forms of knowledge. We will find that there is a reason why we pursue any knowledge. Whether you go to medical school, law school, any school. There's always a reason that you want to become a doctor, you want to become a lawyer, you want to become something. And so that you can practice. So that you can make money. And thus then you can buy things. And so that you can enjoy the life, you can live the life and enjoy the life. So ultimately the purpose of every knowledge is so that you can put to some use, put it to some use. That is why when our children want to go for something like dramatics and some theater and, and you know, things like that, parents say, what are you going to do with that? He wants to study history and what are you going to do with that? Indian parents always look at it this way. What will you do with it? Children here want to learn. I, I love history. You love history all right, but what's the use of that, you know? What will you do after, after studying history? Or some mass media? Or some such thing, you know? Or some, uh, or some the, the product, field production, or theater, or some such thing. And so we wonder. So the reason why such a question is asked, what's the use of that knowledge is because we expect that every knowledge should be useful. It should serve a problem, we should be able to put that knowledge into practice. And therefore knowledge is usually gained so that we can perform a karma, perform an action. An action is performed to achieve a certain desired end. It's called purushartha. Purusharda means the end that is desired by the human beings and thus there is ardharma, artha, kama, moksha, this purusharda there. Meaning that human being wants wealth, he wants comfort, he wants pleasure, he may want happiness in the heavens, various desires are there. They are called purusharda. So whatever knowledge we gain, generally is gained so that we can perform an appropriate action so that the desired end is achieved. Because nobody makes an effort to know something if it is not useful. It has to be useful in some ways. And the usefulness is in terms of giving me some satisfaction through performance of an action. Or knowledge itself can give me some satisfaction or through performance of an action. So acquiring some desirable object. But suppose you acquired everything. Suppose you acquire whatever is to be acquired. 
even in acquiring the various objects such as a home or a car or whatever it is that we acquire, even the purpose behind acquiring all of that ultimately is to become happy. So happiness is the purpose of every action that we perform and the action is the purpose for which we acquire various knowledge. So knowledge in general is acquired by us so that we can perform, we can put that knowledge to use and perform an action. No, Swamiji, we are just scientists. We just know things for the sake of knowledge. It is possible that knowledge itself can give me satisfaction. It's possible. But it is for satisfaction. Either through performance of action so that you can achieve a desired end, then you are satisfied. Or maybe knowledge itself can be for satisfaction, but it is for satisfaction, for happiness. So ultimately, all the knowledge is acquired for happiness. But suppose you get all the happiness that is possible, suppose. Then there will be no need to acquire knowledge, at least for the sake of happiness. So, yajnatva, gaining which knowledge, Arjuna, you will find, you will attain all the happiness. As Taitri Upanishad says, Soshnute sarvan kamansaha brahmana vipaschitayati. That knower of Brahman becomes Brahman. Upanishad says, Knower of Brahman becomes Brahman, like the knower of the tenth man becomes tenth man. And so, so the one who knows Brahman becomes Brahman because Brahman is already myself. Thus to discover that I am Brahman, I am limitless, and Brahman is Ananda, that I am Ananda. So knowing myself is equal to attaining all the Ananda, all the happiness, and thus this knowledge is the means of the attainment of ultimate goal of becoming complete, becoming totally happy, becoming totally free. Here, Juna, gaining this knowledge, you'll discover that you are what you are seeking to be. You are seeking to be free. You are seeking to be happy. You are seeking, seeking to be pleased. Discover that you are the pleased self. You are the happiness. You are the freedom. Having known that now, there is no need to do anything. There is no need to perform action because action is performed to be happy. But you discover yourself to be happiness. So no need to perform an action to be happy. And therefore, no need to gain any knowledge to perform that action also. And that way Lord Krishna says, knowing which, everything is well known, meaning because the Purushartha is achieved. That's another way of understanding the statement that one gains a total fulfillment. Usually, we keep pursuing knowledge. And as Swami says, more you know about a thing, more you know how much you do not know. So more we know about in any field, then the, the expanse of ignorance alone opens before us. And which, that is how it is. That's how it should be also. Otherwise, what will we do? There will be no new PhDs, you know, but every year they, they keep coming because more you know, more you realize what you do not know. And that is why, that is how it is. Because there is no end to the number of grains of sand or number of stars that you can count, the number of cells that you have, and that's even one cell. All the scientists in the world can be busy for all the time in the world, all the time to come. For them, you want to know one cell, you know. And so that is how it is. For the simple reason that to know one atom, you must know also the whole universe because it's interconnected. To know the whole universe, you must know the atoms also. And therefore, that is how it is. But that's fine. The point is that 
usually the pursuit of knowledge always leaves us dissatisfied because I come to know what more I do not know. This is one knowledge which gives me the total satisfaction of knowing, total satisfaction of achieving. As Lord Krishna says in the 15th chapter, Etat buddha buddhiman syat krita krutyasya bharata Here Arjuna, knowing which, one becomes intelligent in the true sense, krita krutya has, and one gains a total fulfillment in life. <coughs> Here Arjuna, gaining this knowledge, you will gain total fulfillment in life, krita krutya has. That you have done whatever needed to be done. Imagine the satisfaction that a person has when the person feels that I have done everything in my life. Such a thing is not there, not in the life that people are trying to. But then, usually Swamiji, my children are all married, they are all settled, they also have their children, I am a grandparent, and everything is just wonderful. And I have a nice insurance, like saving, and then every month I get this, and very comfortable. I am totally satisfied in life. Suppose such a satisfaction, how would you feel that you have done what all you needed to do? Krita-kritya. Here, Juna, gaining this knowledge, you will know that you have done whatever needs to be done. You achieved whatever needs to be achieved. You have known whatever needs to be known. So Vedanta says that if you want to know everything, know yourself. If you want to achieve everything, achieve yourself. If you want to love everything, love yourself. If you achieve yourself, you achieve everything. Know yourself, you know everything. You love yourself, you love everybody and everything. <coughs> this is how the knowledge is praised here by Lord Krishna. Having created this background in the first two verses, the third verse is uh, what we call Arthavada. Again, to emphasize the importance of his knowledge in a, in a negative way. So how this knowledge is something very rare and most valuable that is being said in a different way. So first it is said it is most valuable by saying that gaining which knowledge nothing remains to be known, nothing remains to be run, nothing remains to be achieved. And second, the third verse tells us how rare this knowledge is. That way also the value of this knowledge is stated in the third verse. So let us read the third verse here. Manushyanam sahasreshu Kaschidyatati siddhaye Yatatamapi siddhanam Kaschinmam veti tattvataha Manushyanam sahasreshu among thousands of human beings, kastidyadisiddhe, it is some rare one that even attains, makes an effort for siddhi. Kastidyadisiddhe, siddhi means perfection. The word siddhi is used in Bhagavad Gita in two senses. One means the word siddhi, siddhi means perfection. Or siddhi means attainment, accomplishment. So first level of siddhi, or perfection, or accomplishment, or the first level of power is what we call antahkarnasuddhi, or purification of mind. So, word siddhi is used in more than one places by Lord Krishna in the sense of purification of mind. Svakarmana tamabhyarche siddhim vindati manavaya. By worshipping the Lord with one's own actions, 
one attains siddhi, one attains perfection. What kind of perfection? In terms of the purification of mind. Manushyanam sahaseshu kasiddhyadasiddhaye. Among human beings there are rare who even attain, even attempt for inner purification. The value for inner purification is something very rare. Or Siddhi can be moksha. There are very few who attain, you even attempt for moksha. Attempt for a higher purpose of life. Most people are so engrossed in their mundane life. As Kathopanisha says, na sampraya pratibhati balam pramadyantam vitta mohena mudham to this immature person it does not even strike to him that there can be a goal above and beyond what is perceptible i am lokaha nasti paraitimani he believes that all there is is this world and therefore just enjoy so the sense pleasure is all he can think of gratification of senses and gratification of ego, he thinks that that is the world. That's the purpose of life. And therefore, most people are so engrossed in thinking, in knowing that or believing that there is nothing beyond what we experience. And that the purpose of life is to grasp the gratification of senses and gratification of ego. Gratification of senses is with the help of various objects. Gratification of ego it is such possessions as wealth and name and fame and recognition and power, so there is for gratification of ego. And this is what we find, people pursuing. So, Manushyanam Sahasreshu, these goals are so enchanting because human being is born with greed and therefore this wealth and power always enchant him. So, there is a story in the Upanishad which says that these devatas, the gods who live in the heavens, their predominant characteristic is bhoga, gratification. That's what they want. The asuras, the demons who live in the netherworlds, their predominant characteristic is, is krodha, anger. So devatas characterized by kama, the dhanavas characterized by krodha, and human beings characterized by lobha, lobha means greed. So, kama, Krodha and Loha. Lust, anger and greed, these are three predominant impulses in the human being. And this world of objects has a kind of thing which will always, always in, invoke these impulses. So usually the world of objects and achievements, they always invoke or provoke, I should say, these very impulses, either of karma, Krodha and Loba. So I look at the things, first impulse is enjoy it. If I cannot, I get angry and fight with somebody. If I acquire it, I want more of it. So number one, I want it. Number two, if I don't get what I want, I'll fight for it. Number three, if I get what I want, I want more of it. So this more of it and more of it. When will it happen that I, how much should I get in order for me to become satisfied? Na vittena tarpaniyo manushyaha. Human being can never be satisfied. Regardless of how much wealth he gets, how much recognition he gets, how much power he gets, he can never be satisfied. He doesn't know that. He thinks that someday, Swami, all I want is just a million dollars, nothing more than that. That's all I want. 
That is a lot of money. What we wanted many years ago when we came to United, just $25,000. That is our award, you know, $25,000. If you get that, that's fine, ready to go to India. By the time you, you had 20, which took a long time those days, you know, then 25, then, then already the, the, the cost of living is too high, is not enough, and so 50,000, 100,000, million. And that's how the people never went back, you know, because you never find that what you have is sufficient, never. I never find that what I have is sufficient, and I will have justification for that. Swami, you know, but you have so much money. Yeah, but you know, my children are there and go to medical school and this school and that school and their children and their children. And that is how somehow human being gets so trapped in various fascinations the world presents before him. And how these fascinations keep on invoking from him a desire to enjoy them and desire to possess them, acquire them and enjoy them. That this desire of acquiring, possessing, enjoying can never be satisfied because more he tries to satisfy the desire, more intense it becomes. Like pouring butter into fire and therefore becomes more intense. He always finds himself running after from one end to the other, from one goal to the other. This is how the world is and this is how it has been made. And the medicine avenue always helps in doing that, you know, because that's always every day, every six months they come up with something new. By the time you start using it, the thing has become obsolete already, you know. So, so new gadgets and new foods and new clothes and new perfumes and whatever it is. This is not Western culture. They call it Western culture. Let us call it material culture. Not West, because so westernization, but this is material, you know, this is the effect of material culture. Material culture means the culture that believes that by material we can get satisfaction in life. We should not call it West. That doesn't everybody in the West is like that, you know, everybody in the West or that in the people in East are not like that. Human being is like this. And so it is Bhogavada. That is the, the, the belief that by getting more and enjoying more, I will be satisfied. Therefore, most people are so trapped in that, that to most of them, it does not even occur that life can have a greater possibility. That there can be an existence beyond the name and form that I see. That there can be a satisfaction above and beyond the, the transient satisfaction that I get from the pleasures of the world. That there can be something better, something superior, something, you know, greater. That thought itself does not occur. So Yamaraja, Lord Death says that I don't have to do any work. This is called death, the net of which is spread all over and so people keep coming to me. I don't have to go to them, you know. Punah, punar vashamapadyateme, they keep coming to me. Manushyanam sahasreshu kasidyate siddhe. It is some rare, forget about moksha. Something higher. Even Swarga itself is not bad. That also has gone away now. In the Vedic times, at least everybody wanted heavens. And there they were performing. But that is also the same. Heavens also is no better than earth. It's some different kind of pleasures. But the same thing. Same samsara is there also. Because there also there are these comparisons. In heavens also there are gradations. And therefore, you can be a devata, you can be a servant, you can be a driver, you can be a cook, you can be various things, you know. So same jealousies can be there also and whatever. So it's the same samsara. 
So very rare are those people who can discern something in the life that life has something more to offer. Rare people. And then they will strive for that higher goal. Call it moksha, call it liberation, call it freedom. So the rare is a person who even tries for moksha, who is a value for moksha. Yatatavisiddhanam kasinvam veti tatvataha. Of those who are striving to attain that ultimate goal of life, among them also is some rare person who actually achieves that goal. Maam tatvataha maam veti. Of those who want to know me, of them also there is one rare one who knows me truly as I am. Some rare one actually achieves the goal. Because we say that, I, I say that I want moksha, but very often it's a lip service. One Swamiji was saying that hardly two or three people in one or two years come to me with a request, Swamiji, I want to see God. You know. Most people come for a Swamiji, do you see as, uh, palms and do you know astrology and all of this, and that's usually what people come for. Some people, rare. Says maybe once in two, three years somebody comes to say that I want self-knowledge. But so far, nobody has come to me asking, requesting me, Swamiji, how should I get purification of my mind? That nobody has ever asked. If you want Ishvara and Moksha and knowledge, retaining all Ragad Veshas, all impure, retaining those stuff. Retaining ahankara, mamakara, all of these are retaining, then I want everything else. So it's therefore a value for inner purification. As Puja Swami is a value for self-growth. That also does not occur to most people. And that's the reason why. In spite of, so Kathopanita says that, and Bhagavad Gita also says, in spite of listening, Shrivantopi Bahoyanda Vidyahu, in spite of listening to the teacher also, there are many who do not come to know, because this inner preparation is required. Therefore, Vedanta talks about what we call the qualification. Sadhana Chatushta Sampattihi. Talk of Viveka, Vairagya, Shamadhi Shatka Sampattihi. Anyway, what is to be understood here is that, even while we are pursuing this knowledge, which is wonderful, we should know that Acquiring those qualifications is extremely important. Acquiring Viveka, Vairagya, Samadhi Shatka Sampati, Shama means tranquility of the mind, Tama means self-control, Tidiksha means forbearance, endurance, Shraddha means faith. <coughs> Most people don't have that Shraddha, many people, that there is God, there are scriptures, or the, what the scriptures are, the pramanam, they are the means of knowledge. Even this kind of faith does not develop. And so, when that is not there, how are you going to pursue the study of the scriptures? When the faith is not there, the scriptures are something worthwhile to tell us. So, to have faith in scriptures, to have faith in God, to have faith in a guru, in a person also is very rare. It's not easy. So, very fortunate people have that. It requires a lot of punya. Says Swalva Punyavatam Rajan Vishwaso Nivajayate. The faith does not develop in the people who do not have the adequate wealth of Punya. So if somebody is Shraddha, 
you find yourself having devotion for the teacher, having devotion for the scriptures, having devotion for the Lord. If you find yourself, then understand you are a very rare person. You are a very fortunate person. And if that devotion is accompanied with some understanding, not just, you know, devotion which is traditionally coming down, but if that devotion is accompanied with understanding, you understand the value of the teacher, understand the value of scriptures, understand value of moksha, having understood the value. And then there is trust in the validity of the scriptures, in the teacher, in the, in the, in, in the Ishwara. If one has that shraddha, it is, one is very, very fortunate. And shraddha, or faith such as that is really the result of a lot of punya karma we have performed. As Vivek Shuramani says, Durlabham Tremevetat Devanugrahetukam. This three is Durlabh is rare. Manushatvam, Mumukshutvam, Mahapurusham To gain a human birth is rare. Because there are all kinds of species in the world, to get human birth is rare. And from then also to get Mumukshutvam, a desire for moksha, is even rare. Mahapurusha samshaya, and to have association with a great teacher is yet rare. <coughs> so, Lord Krishna says that it is one rare person who even strives for this knowledge, and among many who strive, it is a rare one who gets the knowledge. <coughs> Swami, thank you, then we'll close the books, you know, because it says we can't do it. No, it is not a desire on anybody that this is said. It is to show the value of this knowledge. The fact that Arjuna is listening shows that he is already one of the rare ones. You know, he would not be there. The fact that he asked for knowledge of Lord Krishna, which he did not for all this time. It is not just a, an accident that this teaching took place. It must have taken so long for Arjuna really to recognize this need. Today he recognized a need for knowledge. So far I recognize need for many other things which also Lord Krishna may have given him. But today he recognized the need for knowledge. Shishyasteham Shadimantvam Parapannam I am your disciple. Please teach me. So already Arjuna is one of those rares. Meaning that the one who is listening to Bhagavad Gita already is a rare person. So this is not to discourage, to encourage as a matter of fact and also to tell us how valuable this knowledge is. Also to understand that it is important that we should keep on, there must be perseverance, there must be patience, there must be perseverance, that one should not become disheartened. Because human being, again being a utility, whatever we do, always want some results. Swami, I am coming to the class for ten years, you know, but nothing is happening. <laughs> so I want something to happen. And so, because naturally we want reward for whatever we do. The Lord Krishna says, Karmanyavadikaraste maaphale shukadachana. Yours it is to keep on making an effort. Whether reward comes or not, keep making the effort. Have patience, have perseverance. It always takes time for things to happen. There are no quick fixes here, and there is nothing instant here. Vedanta does not promise no moksha in three days or thirty days or ninety days or something like that. There is no quick fix. Do something, press something here and something will rise and fall, whatever, you know. No such things. Even if they are there, Vedanta doesn't prescribe that because a growth has to, self-growth has to take place. A fruit has to take its own time. Mango should take its own time to ripen. Then alone there is taste. Then mango will be delicious. Then will be fragrant. Then will be tender. 
Otherwise, you heat it up in an oven or something and it may get, look nice from outside. Or you, you know, but it doesn't work out. It takes its own time. All you need to do is to provide the right atmosphere so that it gets ripened. When will it get ripened? Depends on the kind of mango. When will the fruit come? Depends on the kind of tree. It will come. When the process has begun, it has to conclude. Today or tomorrow. Aneka janmasam siddha tato yadi paramgadim. Lord Krishna says this. Gaining perfection over a number of births, one ultimately attains that goal. So there is no question that when a person who has started on this path, there is no no now returning. Whether you want it or not. Once you are on the escalator, it will take you up there. This, you know, and similarly also, but what is required is constant effort, perseverance, patience, not losing the heart, not becoming disheartened, not losing courage, and continuing with it. Because this is the most valuable thing that one can have, and without this also, there is no jnatavyam. This has to be known. Without this, life is never complete. And therefore, there is no choice. If there was a choice of becoming free or happy by other means, then it's fine. But there is no choice. Knowledge is the only choice because I am already what I am seeking to be. The tenth man is already the tenth man. Therefore, he has to know that he is a tenth man. There is no other way. And knowledge cannot be unless the inner purification or inner maturity takes place. There is no, no way there also. The inner mind is like this mango. When it is raw, it is sour. So, you find that the mind is sour. It's okay. But when it gets ripened, it will become very sweet and fragrant and tender. You see, when the mango becomes sweet, it is not that the sweetness is injected from outside. Mango is raw, it is, it is sour. How does it turn sweet? It's not that we have provided sweetness from outside, it's inherently there. Where does the fragrance come from? It is there. Where does the tenderness come from? It is there. And so also in the mind, everything is there. All the sweetness is there, all the fragrance is there, all the tenderness is there, everything is there. We just will bring it to manifestation. So when you ripen the mango, we bring to manifestation what is already there. And so also, bring to manifestation what is already in the mind. And thus, our job is to continue to strive. <coughs> For that, Lord Krishna says, look, this knowledge is very rare. And two things are required. Not only that we have to strive, at the same time, we also require the grace of the Lord. What we call krupa, or the grace of the Lord. Grace of the Lord, grace of the teacher, grace of the scriptures, grace of the self. This grace is also very important. So without that grace also, this knowledge cannot be gained. And thus, we can get the grace when we know Ishwa. Therefore, now, Lord Krishna proceeds to fulfill the promise that he gave, Jnanam and Vijnanam. You say in the second verse, Jnanam, Teham, Vijnanam. I'll tell you knowledge, Jnanam along with Vijnanam. And now, from the fourth verse, Lord Krishna proceeds to, to explain that. Bhumirapo nalo vayuhu Khammano buddhirevacha 
अहंकार भिन्ना प्रकृतिरष्टधा सो नो वट एक्चुअली लॉर्ड कृष्णा वॉन्ट्स टू से इन द सब्सिक्वेंट सेक्शन इज दैट ऑल दैट इज इज गॉड वट इज नाउ सर्ट ऑफ एक्सप्लेन इज वट एवर इट इज इज गॉड एज यू आर टोल्ड इन द मॉर्निंग यू विलेज ऑल्सो नोज एज वेर इज गॉड इज एवरीवेर सो वट इज मैन बाय सेंग दैट गॉड इज एवरीवेर शुड नॉट इवन से एवरीवेर एवरीथिंग इज गॉड वट एवर इज इज गॉड नेक्स्ट टू द एंसर एंसर इज वट एवर इज इज गॉड हाउ इज दैट सो सो इट इज दैट नॉलेज दैट नॉट ओनली दर इज वन गॉड बट दर इज ओनली गॉड वट डज दैट नॉलेज डू रिकग्निशन ऑफ गॉड और ईश्वर एवरीवेर हु इज ईश्वर ईश्वर इज वन हु इज इन हेरेंडली कंप्लीट पूर्ण मद है पूर्ण मिदर नोइंग दैट एवरीथिंग इज कंप्लीट दैट वॉट अवेर इट इज नथिंग बट कंप्लीटनेस होलनेस फुलनेस सो नोइंग दैट दैर इज दैट नॉट ओनली आई एम होल एंड कंप्लीट बट एवरीथिंग इज होल एंड कंप्लीट दिस नॉलेज नॉट टू रिकग्नाइज दैट आई एम ब्रह्मन दैन एवरीबडी इज अ स्टूपिड पर्सन इज नॉट सर I am Brahman, and Swami. Sometimes, sometimes people ask this question. Swami, you keep saying that you are Brahman, you are Brahman. Suppose I come to know I am Brahman, will it not? Uh, will this person not become arrogant? I am Brahman. If he becomes arrogant, then he is not known Brahman. That's all. <laughs> Because when I can say I am Brahman, you can equally say you are Brahman. So when I am Brahman, means what? Everyone is Brahman, and everything is Brahman. Sarvam. Kaluidam Brahman. What it is is Brahman. Whatever it is is Ishvara. I am Ishvara, Jagat Ishvara, and the substratum of both also is Ishvara. Important is not only all this is Ishvara. Ishvara is not only immanent. Ishvara is the one who transcends everything. So there are two entities in our life. One is subject, other is object. One is individual, other is a universe. Thus, these two are there, mutually exclusive: the subject and object. Who is subject? Subject or I is a conscious being. What is object? Object is inert. Swami, you are calling us inert, you know? But understand that whatever it is that I can, can say, whatever can be objectified by the sense perception is always inert. As far as you are concerned, I am also inert. Meaning, whatever you can perceive is inert. But Swami, you are not inert. You are a sentient being. That's why. But what you perceive, what you perceive is this body, gross body, and that is made of five elements. That is inert. You can infer maybe my mind that is also inert. Consciousness cannot become the object of perception. So understand that whatever I am conscious of is is inert. Is matter. What I am conscious of is matter, and the one who is conscious of is conscious being. So thus, our life consists of these two entities: subject and object, aham and idam, I and you. Who is I? A conscious being. Who is you? The object of my awareness, and therefore you, who is material or product of matter, spirit and matter. A consciousness and matter, 
these are the conscious being and matter. These are the two entities that we know. So when we say that God is everything, it means that what we call Jagat or matter also is God and what we call the subject or the conscious being also is God. So two expressions of God, subject and object. But these two expressions mean that God must be beyond the two. See, it is like this. They say that this light sometimes acts as particle, sometimes acts as waves, you know. Sometimes the light appears as particle, sometimes it appears as a wave. So what is light? Light must be a principle which is the basis of both particle and wave. It must be a fundamental principle of which the particle is a manifestation and the wave also is manifestation. The light must be that fundamental principle. If you understand what I am saying, so also we have these two entities, object and subject, conscious being and matter. Therefore the truth must be that which must be the basis of both. The truth must be the basis of both. Basis of subject as well as object. That from which the universe of subject and object arises, by which it is sustained, under which it goes back, that must be the fundamental truth. Because object is relative to subject, and subject is relative to object, is it not so? There cannot be a subject, I or aham, without the reference to the object, you. There cannot be a seer without the reference to what is seen. There cannot be a knower without a reference to what is known. There cannot be a knower without something that is known. There cannot be known without the knower. So knower and known, subject, both are relative. And therefore, none of them is true, understand. Both of them are relative. The knower is in relation to what is known. The known is in relation to the knower. Both are relative. Therefore, both of them must, be, must evolve from something that is not relative. The truth must be absolute, independent, not relative. Ishvara is the truth, which is absolute, independent, not relative. Whatever you find in the universe is all relative, is all interdependent. One is because of something else. And as we say, the two entities are subject and object. Subject is, with I can be called subject or the knower only with reference to object. You can be called object only with reference to subject. Both are relative and therefore both of them must evolve from something that is not relative. Something that is absolute, something that is changeless. And that is what we call Brahman or Ishvara. So therefore, ultimate truth about Ishvara must be absolute, independent, whereas what we experience in life is all relative. So you know the theory of relativity, that the whole universe is relative. One thing is with reference to something else. And so, as a scientist explained to us that this relative universe is a projection of something that is absolute. That's exactly what Vedanta tells us. That Ishvara or Brahman is absolute truth and the universe consisting of the object and subject is the projection. So what is called projection, what is relative, what is changing is called mithya. And that 
which is not a projection, which is substratum, which does not change, is called satyam. So, mithya and satyam. So now Lord Krishna wants to explain that everything is Brahman, everything is God. First of all, the universe consisting of subject and object also is God. If that is so, the very substratum from which both of these evolve, that is of course Brahman. So what is absolute is Brahman. Not only that, but what is relative also is Brahman. What is Satyam also is Brahman. What is Mithya also is Brahman. So, so otherwise, if you categorize Satya and Mithya, but Swami is Satya, Ishwara is Satya, then what about Mithya? Ishwara is the creator, is Satyam, the truth, and Jagat is Mithya, Brahma Satyam, Jagat Mithya. If Brahma is Satyam, Jagat is Mithya, then why is Jagat different from Brahman? No. Jagat also is manifestation of Brahman. <coughs> That's what Lord Krishna now wants to explain to us. That first telling us that the relative universe is nothing but my manifestation. And that is being said in the two verses. First verse we read, Bhumihi Apaha Analaha Vayuhu Kham. This refers to the five elements. Bhumi means earth, Apaha water, Analaha fire, Vayuhu air, Kham means space. So space, air, fire, water, and earth. This is a model. What we call the model of five elements. Of which this universe is made. So this, Manaha, Buddhi evacha ahankaraha. The manaha, the mind. You remember Swami said this morning that understand that my body also is part of the creation. Not only my body, but manaha, my mind also is part of creation. Buddhi, intellect also is part of creation. And so ego also is part of creation. It's all inert. So among these eight, between these eight, it includes the entire inert creation. Gross as well as subtle. The what we perceive, the sense organs is gross. But that with which we perceive is subtle. Our sense organs, our mind, our intellect, so they cannot be objective by our sense organs. This is called sukshma, subtle. Thus, itiyamme bhinna prakruti ashtadha. Lord Krishna says that my prakruti, my prakruti is my nature. Prakruti means the primordial cause, see, material cause. This is my prakruti, my primordial cause, my power, which manifests itself in the eightfold ways, made up of the five elements, the mind, the intellect, and the ego. <coughs> Those of you who know a little bit of Sanskrit can look at this verse. Ahankar itiyam me bhinna prakruti yastra. Me means mama. Me prakruti hi. Lord Krishna says, this is my prakriti. Whose prakriti? My prakriti. This is my power. This is my... So all these eightfold manifestation is mine. Whose? Ishwaras. Lord Krishna says that the eightfold manifestation is mine. So if we account for what belongs to Ishwara in his account, then remaining is in our account. So this, this accounting must become very clear, you know, what belongs to what. Here I cannot sit and then say, come on, take this clock. 
take this table. Take the, I, I can't say that. It doesn't belong to me. I can only give something to you that belongs to me. I can't give something that is general property or belongs to somebody else. So let us also understand what belongs to me in this universe now. From what Lord Krishna says, this eightfold prakriti belongs, is his prakriti. What does this consist of? The five elements, meaning that all these objects that we have, there's all five elements, the whole universe included. Understand my body also is the product of five elements, so that is also included. Manaha, my mind, the emotional faculty also is manaha. Buddhi, the intellectual faculty also. Ahankara, the ego. The, I know, the ego means the tendency always to identify the ahankara. Lord Krishna says, all this is mine. So then we can, now you, the one exercise will be, now you please come up with what is now that belongs to us. In the school they give you this exercise, you know. So if all this belongs to Ishvara, what belongs to Jiva? We call ourselves Jiva. What belongs to him? So, all this matter, the eightfold manifestation of matter, Prakruti can be called the matter, the primordial matter, the material cause. Prakruti is the material cause of the universe. Lord Krishna says, it is my Prakruti, it is my power, which has manifested itself in this eightfold manner. No, but the, the conscious being I am. So for that, Lord Krishna says in the next verse, <coughs> Apareyamitasthvanyam Prakritim vidhime param Jeeva bhutam mahabaho Yayedam dharyate jagata Aparayam This eightfold prakriti Understand the word Prakriti. Prakriti means the primordial cause. Prakriti means the material cause. Prakarshena Kriti Yogyatva, that which can be very well formed, which creates is called Prakriti. So Prakriti is the primordial material cause of which this manifest universe is. And Lord Krishna, Apara Iyam, this is my lower Prakriti. This is my lower nature. This is my lower power. Itastvanyam prakritim vidyame param. Other than this, distinct from this, there is another prakriti, another power. What is that? Jiva bhutam. The one that is of the nature of jiva, of the nature of conscious being, what we call the knower, what we call subject. Lord Krishna says, it is my param prakritim. Know that to be my superior prakriti. Know that to be my superior power. So two prakritis are there. The apara prakriti, the para prakriti. The lower prakriti, the higher prakriti. The lower nature, the higher nature. The lower power, the higher, you know, power is not a very good word here, but then lower energy. Somebody says, Swamiji, is God energy? No, God is not energy. The energy is what manifests the universe. So what the scientists call energy will be this prakriti. Because the scientists explained to us that what we call this matter is nothing but the waves of the energy. So this prakriti, the, the primordial matter, the primordial energy if you want to call it, is what is manifested in this, in the form of this universe. 
But the science does not take into account the conscious being. Science always explains to us what about the material world, but doesn't explain the conscious being. Lord Krishna says, Jiva Bhutam, the one who is Jiva, one is a conscious being, one is a subject, one is a knower. He is my he is my para prakriti. He is my superior prakriti. So what we call object also is my prakriti. The subject also is my prakriti. The matter also is my prakriti. The spirit also is my prakriti. The inert also is my prakriti. The conscious being also is my prakriti. So now you list out what what all it is that belongs to you. You know now. Lord Krishna has claimed the ownership of everything, everything that we know, the object as well as subject. What remains now? Yayadam dharite jagata, know this jiva, know the subject, know the conscious being as my higher manifestation. So know this universe, eightfold universe is my lower manifestation, and know the, con- know the conscious being, the subject is my higher manifestation. And what's the relationship between the two? Yaya idam jagadhayate. The conscious being is the one by whom this jagad or universe is sustained. So this body-mind complex is sustained by what? This body-mind complex will disintegrate if it is not sustained by the consciousness. It's not so. It is the conscious being that sustains this body-mind complex. So the conscious being, the subject is the sustainer, and the objective world is what is sustained. So, subject and object, both of these Lord Krishna says are the my manifestations. Two-fold manifestation, the lower manifestation and the higher manifestation. Inferior manifestation, superior manifestation. The matter and the spirit, both of these are manifestations of the Lord. Both are called prakriti. Both are manifestations of Lord. <coughs> then who is it? These are all mine. He is different from them, understand? So what you call Ishvara is different from this. These are all mine, and I am naturally the subset of the two, which he will tell subsequently. So, in these verses now, what Lord Krishna proceeds to tell us as to how Ishvara is everything. They say God is everywhere. A better statement would be God is everything. In what way God or the Ishwara is everything is what is sought to be explained in these verses. We'll continue our discussion. Om Purnamadav Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnamevavashishyade Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru 